hello, hello, hello. This is Truth Be Told. This is Dr. Walter Aka, and I have the pleasure of actually having uh, Dr. Simone Ellis. She, to me, is somebody that anybody could look up to. I mean, she's doing so many things. Honestly, she's got her, she started the Houston Minority Dental Society. Okay. She does CE courses. She has another CE courses that she started, Ambitious, Ambitious Dentist. CE course. Uh, she does practice management. Uh, she's an influencer. You know, I, I found that out about that about you today. Uh, so <laughs> you're you're everywhere. You're doing a lot. Uh, but thank you so much, Dr. Simone, for taking the time to come out. And I actually caught you at the end of your really busy day. So thank you so much for coming through. Well, I am super excited to be here. Anytime that I see another doctor trying to do something amazing in this industry, I am all for it. And I well, you think you're dope, so let's get it done. <laughs> I appreciate I you. <laughs> well, see, you're, you're going to definitely come on multiple times now just because you said I that. I would love to. I don't have a problem with that at all, for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. So let's start off by just getting your background, you know, just okay. basically how you got into dentistry and, and, and when you started and so forth. Oh, so you don't want me to go back as as a man and a woman? Get no, no, that's weird. Oh, no, that's, no, that's weird. That I don't. I that that would be uncomfortable for everybody. Let's <laughs> and your mom and dad would probably be like, please don't ever say that again. Right, right, right. <laughs> let's well, let's focus on when you were when you were able to make decisions on your own. No problem, no problem. So as a toddler, I'm kidding. I'm born <laughs> and raised from Kansas City, Kansas, and got an opportunity to. Uh, go to Xavier University of Louisiana. I always like to throw that part out because I think that that's a very important part of who I am, why I am, and how I am as ambitious as I am. So the college element of my life was so important because they were number one for placing minorities in a medical and dental school. And that was huge to me because I needed to be in a place I felt like that really fostered the idea of, hey, this Little kid from Kansas wants to be a dentist. And um, I didn't come from a family of people that ha- had been in the industry before. This was something very foreign. My mother was adamant about me being an engineer by far. And I hated math. And I kept telling her, I don't like this. So dentistry was something I've had a passion about doing since I was, you know, almost in the second grade, seven. I remember that story very vividly when I came home and told my mom I wanted to be a dentist. Wow. So. Yeah, I got a chance to see my dad get in the tube pool. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Okay. And I came home and was like, I am going to do this. And she was like, what? And I was in second grade. And I told my teachers. I told my parents. I was just very adamant about it. So, you know, fast forward to college being an amazing experience and getting a tuition, full tuition scholarship to UMDNJ, which is now Rutgers. Okay. In New Jersey. Yeah. And got my education there. And again, great school from the element of I really felt like while well, when I came out of dental school, I had a really, really great concept or I felt very confident in dentistry. And I think I see a lot of students now coming out and not having the same type of clinical skills, maybe because the professors don't allow them to have that freedom to work so freely. But in New Jersey, I mean, I really got an opportunity to serve as a community that really needed it. And I also had an abundance of patients. So I was able to really, really, I feel like, develop my craft in dental school without doing a residency. I didn't mean that I wasn't going to, of course, learn on the way, but I felt comfortable when I came out with being able to do dentistry. Okay, well, let me stop you right there real quick. So you actually got me going on some other tangent real quick but do you believe that 
dental students or dentists coming out now, graduating now, should do a residency? Yes, I do. Um, I think it really depends on, I mean, I was pretty aggressive in dental school. And what I mean by that was, I finished all my requirements pretty much my junior year. Mm. So my senior year was able to really develop even more of what I liked doing. I mean, I didn't really have anything to work towards. So, you know, I didn't have to finish any requirements. I could do more than enough cases. But I think that now when kids are coming, or excuse me, not, when we're dental students are coming out of school. You can call them kids. I, I do that all the time. Yeah, I'm like, kids, <laughs> you know, we're so old. Right. right exactly. but, uh, but, you know, when I think of dental students, uh, coming out and I've had the opportunity of having several associates, I'm really concerned about their ability to really understand treatment planning, how to get interdisciplinary, um, you know, uh, providers involved, uh, when to just be courageous and try something. And I think that with the residencies, you know, it really depends on how intense the student is in dental school to determine if they should do one. Like for me, I don't think that I am out out of or out of the box or ordinary, but I think that I was really assertive in dental school. If you're not one of those uh students, I think a residency is really a great idea for sure. And then I also think I'm re- I'm realizing regionally things are very different, right? So um I have a young lady that's working with me now that's from up north too. And again, it's a very different vibe than how I've been seeing some of the uh, associates come out in the South. I don't know what the difference is. It's just a very big difference and their confidence is very different. So let me then we'll continue that. The associates up North versus South, which one do you think is more confident? I think the North of North. Um, I think that they have a different type of clientele that they're dealing with for sure. You know, I'm um, like at my school, it was definitely in a very impoverished area. Right. Newark, New Jersey, hands down, you're going to see. I mean, I was stitching together faces and mm. gunshot wounds. Like, I mean, I was seeing some crazy stuff happening, right? Right. If you're in a school that's kind of in the, not as, I guess, I don't want to say, like some of the South schools are in really nice areas. Right. It makes a difference from the clientele. So I think that makes a difference as far as the patient population for sure, right? So, I mean, that's just my take on it. And I've gotten a chance to probably see different associates from different areas. And by far, like if you're stitching up, if you're seeing a Lafort class three surgery and getting an assist with it, you know, you're, that's on a whole different page than you getting a chance to do a couple of class two fillings. fillings. I mean, it's just different. Right. So. I agree. I agree. Okay. So, well, let's, let's go on the fact that you said something. You said, I didn't go to, I didn't go to a grad, postgraduate course, right. right? So you didn't do a GPR at AGD. But, no, I did not. But one thing I know about you is you've taken over a hundred hours of CE courses. So, so let's, let's talk about that, right? So you okay. can do that GPR, AGD, but you've taken so many courses that a lot of dentists don't do. Right. Why? Well, I knew that I, I did not want to do a residency. I knew that I had to come out of school. And so here's what my thought process was. I knew I wanted to own my own office. I knew I wanted to come out of school and start working. So my mind was invest that money that I make that first year into the CEs that I would want to take as opposed to being in a residency program that I wasn't sure if I was going to get a chance to study the things that I wanted to study or explore the things that I wanted to explore, right? Um, in the South, it's not required. In New Jersey, though, if you work in New York, it's required. So I knew I didn't want to stay up there. To take a GPR. Yes. Yes. 
it's required yeah. um, for you to work in New York. Not in New Jersey, but most doctors won't hire you unless you've had a GPR because it's such a common thing. But in the South, not. So I knew I could come to the South. I could probably make 130 to 150 a year and not have to do a residency on that, you know, terrible salary. <laughs> and I could probably still invest, even if I invested half of that money into CEs, I would still be probably faring off financially better. Um, and that's what I did. So I just, I really went hard those first couple of years on taking as many classes as I could from the aspect of, I didn't know what I liked and what I didn't like. I knew I wanted to do cosmetics. I was actually told that it wasn't a good idea for me to do it in the South. And I'll get into that a little bit later as far as why you should really write your own path and stick to it. (laughs) But I was told not to do it. So I was just like, well, I can't do cosmetics here in the South. So let me explore all these different things. And I mean, I took probably, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been over a hundred, hundreds of hours because I love the idea of consistently learning and also really out what I didn't like. I, I did crown lengthening class one time. I was like, I hate this. Like, I do not. <laughs> well, <laughs> right, thank you <laughs> let so me much. Send that over to right, you. <laughs> you know, I, that's my, my whole life. Right, yeah. And I'm thank like, you. Like, I don't want to do that. So, I, I didn't like Carol Lindsay. I did not like, um, what else? And I, I did a sign and sinus list. I was full on that. Didn't want that. Once again, like, thank you. Know, you. I, I, I appreciate it. Once again, my, my life, yeah. me, my life means nothing to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Perio, all day y'all can have it. But there were so many other things that I really, really enjoyed doing. Like, I loved placing implants. I loved, uh, different types of graphing techniques. I loved, um, some oral surgery stuff. I mean, and now I've got an opportunity to know like where I'm comfortable with and where I'm not. And I think that's important for CEs too, like pushing yourself to the limit and then getting a chance to decide as opposed to not knowing and not knowing, uh, and not getting any more uh, education to make yourself any better or not. So, okay. So what were some of the, uh, courses that you, what was most of the courses that you, uh, took? What were they in? What topic? Were they in like, uh, practice management? Were they in aesthetics? Were they in surgery? Oh, yeah. All of it. I took, you know, I took one of, one of my favorite practice management classes was, uh, the breakaway practice. And then I also had, you don't get CEs from them, but I did, I do Jake Geyer Scheduling Institute, so I learned a lot from him. Um, I did, um, what's his name, Paul Holmley's class about case, case acceptance and treatment planning. Um, I've done some photography classes with the uh, Miguel uh, Ortiz, yes, okay. the photographer guy. Right. He's really big. So, I mean, I've done a wide range. I did occlusion at Panky. I did LVI, okay. Indo. Um, I did Invisalign, Ortho, I did, um, ooh, what's the guy's name from Rondo Seminars. So, I mean, I just tried out a lot of different things. I mean, I was all over the place. Right. Because, I mean, and I think that that's what you really, to be a great doctor, you kind of just need to have a general, which, which is what I am. I think you kind of need to have your hands in different things to rule out what you don't like, you okay. know? Okay. Do you find that, you know, having your uh, focus be on so many different uh, uh, specialties and so many different uh, tasks, do you find mm-hmm. that it doesn't allow you to actually uh, be proficient in all of it? Or do you right. think that just allows oh, yeah, you to I say, absolutely <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that what I was doing for those first couple of years, though, is, is crucial, is necessary, because I don't think that 
it's fair fair to say what you're going to love and define. Gotcha. Like now I'm very sure as far as what I love and what I want to go hard on. Right. But I didn't have those years of kind of exploring all those other things. I think that's why college makes you take so many different classes and different, you know, subjects. I used to be like, I don't understand why I'm taking this. This has nothing to do with dentistry, right? Right. Now you look back and you're like, okay, well, I can pull a little bit of this from that. You know, I'm able to explain to patients, you know, I don't do traditional ortho, but this is reasons why you would need to do that. And I've done this before. Well, why don't you do it, Dr. Ellis? I didn't find that fulfilling, you know, or, you know, I I just think that's really important. The more that you are aware in those first couple of years now as an established doctor, I don't think that that's great. I don't think you should be a jack of all these trades. I think that by this time now, you should really be honing in on to like, what is going to be your craft? How are you going to develop it? How are you going to take it to the next level? Okay. Well, let's, let me ask you this then, right? Because what you said about being a jack of all trades doesn't seem to kind of uh, bode well for everybody else. Let me explain what I mean by that. Everybody wants to be a jack of all trades because financially, that might be beneficial for them, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh man, I do everything. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to keep everything in house. You're, right. you're saying the opposite. You're saying, well, no, you should be able to understand everything, but work with other people. Do you find that you, you're seeing more people that want to be jack of all trades or you're seeing more people that want to kind of focus in on what they know and then work with other people? Well, I think that being a business owner sometimes forces you to have to probably be a jack of many trades, mm-hmm. right? So my team yells at me all the time about what I refer out. Like, I hate endo. I'm just not about to do it. Like, I like anterior premolar endo, but the molar endo, I just, I'm not a fan of it, partially because I don't feel like I'm proficient. I think that I'm doing a down a, a disservice to the patient. But I feel like also to what my, um, my ability to have great discernment about myself or acknowledging where I'm great in is very, is very, I'm, I'm very aware where I feel like a lot of times doctors want to keep that dollar in their pocket for the practice from a business standpoint. And I can understand that. But at the end of the day, we're servicing people, right? right. And so my goal is like, if I can't do this to the best of my ability in the, the timeliest manner and making sure that patient gets great results. I don't want to do it. Okay. Um, do you think that dentist and dentistry has made dentists more selfish and, and, yeah. and greedy when it comes yeah. to what you were just saying? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, yeah, think about it. I mean, and it's expensive, mm-hmm. like, right? You're the, you're sitting over here and you got bills that are coming through an overhead that's out of control. And you're like, I'm about to do everything. And you, you, I get it. I mean, I get it. I, I completely get it. I just, I don't know. I think that's also part of the reasons why dentists sometimes experience burnout, though, too, right? Because our minds are in so many different areas. We are overwhelmed with so many different things. And I don't think that, I don't think that it's great to do absolutely everything because I wonder to some degree, well, then what do you get great at? On my day, I'm going to have some extractions. I'm going to have some fillings. I'm going to have some crumbs. And I'm probably going to have some dentures. Um... I, I, so I am in, in, in a sense, I guess, doing a lot of different things, but there are some things that like, I'm really, really great at. Like, I'll cut a crown and in 30 minutes, that patient from start to finish is done. Dentures? Ah. Uh, 
<laughs> it's all good. No, trust me, that's how it was. That's why I actually uh, got into perio, and I was like, forget this. Dentures is not for me at all. So I completely understand. Fun, for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's actually switch now to being a practice owner, right? Okay. And then we're going to talk about being a practice owner, being a, a woman in a male-dominated environment, being a minority in a non-minority dominated environment and then right. also being a practice owner a solo practice owner in a in an environment that's switching to more of a corporate factor right so so let's start from the beginning practice ownership mm-hmm. easy hard eh which one? <laughs> oh, it's hard all day right it's hard all day um what are some of the tr- what are some of the issues that you think have you have to deal with and is it the dentistry or is it just the management of people never dentistry it's always people i mean <laughs> if i could just do dentistry and not manage people you know that would be the best i mean really what i had to learn from managing people is is that I had to learn the psychological element and understand people in general and also learn how to be a better leader. And I took a whole year, probably about four years ago, just to take leadership classes because I just didn't have that leadership acumen. I did not know how to be a leader. I knew how to run an office. I was running an office, um, but to understand people and why they do certain things and how to position conversations and how to inspire people and how to motivate people. And oh, you're amazed at how everybody's work ethic is very different. And I think that corporate, unfortunately, to me, is perpetuating a different type of climate in our work environment. Okay. Right? So, you, you brought it up. Now let's go that way, right? Okay. Private practice versus corporate dentist, right? The first thing is a lot of these corporations now are given part ownership to the general, to the general dentist or to the dentist in, in the, in the group, right? But most of the majority ownership is still held by somebody who's not a dentist. Right. So tell me how that's affecting dentistry and if you think it's good or bad. Well, I think that anytime we have managing partners that are not our own, I think we have to be concerned. You know, I think that's the way medicine technically went. And yep. so now we can see how medicine currently is now. And you hear a lot of providers being very frustrated about, you know, basically being ran by people who are not dentists. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that is a concern. That's an alarming, alarming thing. That that dentistry was kind of special in that way because we haven't had to deal with that climate, but it's definitely going in that direction, uh, for sure. So you have people that are making decisions that, uh, for instance, I had a colleague call me today and was like, Hey, I'm doing a cosmetic case and, you know, walk me through all these parts. And I'm like, okay, well then, and you definitely want to talk about this lab. And she's like, Oh, I can't use them. Mm. And I'm like, well, well, why can't you? And she's like, oh, because they're not clear. They're not in our, they're not in our profile or something. And she's like, in a corporation. And I'm like, so then explain to me, now for us, you know, labs are a major part of yes. our clinical. Yes, like, a good lab success, can make or break, your, yeah, a good lab can make or break your whole entire case. Correct. So now you're telling me that a big case for you, you don't even get to make the decision on where that case goes. That's a small thing to show. Right. But I mean, it's a major they're going to be very frustrated with you as an office if that case doesn't come back out. The patient is frustrated. I mean, it just kind of has this whole domino effect, but she can't make that decision. 
because she works for a corporation who has decided what lab financially fits their business model, right? Wow. So that's just a small example of how a corporate office who's not a dentist is making the choice for that doctor and how they're going to treat that patient that they're going to have to see. And that patient is a part of that doctor's care and the doctor's license is on the line, you know? So I think we, I mean, it's definitely something to be concerned about. Um, I am blessed in the sense that my patients truly seek me out because they're not looking for a corporation. And I think there's, I think that there is always going to be a place for a private practice. Now, how long our place exists, I don't know. But I think that patients are becoming aware of certain things. They know what they're experiencing. And so they're like, okay, I want to have the same doctor that I'm going to see. This person knows exactly what she's talking about. I'm finding her on Instagram or I've seen her work, you know, and I, and I get that. Um, being black is actually kind of, I was, I have a funny story about this. So when I first opened my office, I didn't want anybody to know what I looked like, right? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time, out, time, out, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> so you have websites, you have Instagram, you have, but you didn't want people to know what you look like. Well, remember, Instagram wasn't big right when I first came out. Right? Sure, it's so about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, websites were huge. Right. I was like, I don't want anybody to know what I look like. Why? Because I, like you just said, we, I'm a female. I am black. I'm African American. I am in a, male-dominated Caucasian industry, right? And I'm young at that time. I'm still thinking I'm young. Oh, you are. Like, yeah, it's all good. Time, <laughs> we're all young. We're all young still. It's all good. Right, we're all <laughs> young. But at that time, I wasn't, right? I mean, I was really young. I was like, I mean, baby face on 10. So, right. you know, patients were looking at me like, not this little black girl is not about to be in my mouth, right? And so I was like, I just don't want people to know what's me. And I'll never forget this. This Asian guy came up to me who was doing my website at the time. And he was like, you're, you have to be on this stuff. You have to be on it. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be. He was like, no, Simone, like you're different. You look different. Like that's going to be your hook. And I felt so much comfort in him just having so much faith that I could be me and look like me and still have patience. And, you know, while I've only experienced racism, probably about five or six times in my practice Mm. surprisingly i haven't had a huge issue with it i remember what did um, you do what did you do when you actually experienced that because it's your own practice right so i mean the first couple of times it was definitely like you know oh my god like I'm, i'm so hurt by this i'm so like oh my god like i can't believe that you're saying like you're coming into my office and you're turning, you're walking away because you found out that my office is black or, you know, it was hurtful. But I remember the moment that I felt very empowered after that kept happening to be like, I am providing you a service. That's right. Like I have power. I can decide if I'm going to see you or not. I get to bless you today, not the other way around. And that moment was such a powerful moment because it wasn't that I wanted to deny anybody treatment, but I had the choice to say if you're coming here, we are not looking at what race I am. We're looking at what what service I can provide for you and how I can how I can help you. Okay. Let's 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 pause for a second and and, and kinda expand on that. Um when it comes to people that are coming out of school, 
right? right. Uh, and, and and especially young, you know, because my daughter, you know, she's going to grow up and hopefully she's going to be as independent and as, as you know, boss-like as you are, right? And, and, and your able wife to con- too, right? Let's shout out wife. Oh, no, for sure. My wife too, but <laughs> I, I have I have, I have a tra- chance to mold my daughter more. <laughs> I so I, I, so I do that. I just do it that way, right? But for sure, you know, what I mean, I mean, the, my wife is definitely bossed up all the way. But you, you we're bringing up people, we're bringing up uh, uh, little girls who may experience that, may, but may not have the strength to believe that. Hey, I'm actually providing you the service. Right. I'm actually giving you the gift of my skills and my knowledge. So, yeah. so what do you tell to these little kids that are coming up that have to face something like that? You know, I think that we just let them, we, we love on them like you're, you're doing, you're empowering them really early on to be independent thinkers, but to be of, of love, right? right? So like, I believe the reason why I was empowered to that is because I knew that I genuinely have a love for everyone, right? And I want you to feel better. So my love for you, I, I don't have any room for hate. I don't have any room for disrespect. And so I can tell the difference. So if you feel like you can't love me, like I would love on you as far as treating you, then we probably just don't have anything to talk about. Like, you know, or everybody's not a good, and, and you can teach, you, you teach this to everybody. Everybody's not good for you. Right. Just in general, like in life, like, you know, so we don't even have to talk about just patience. Like there are people in this world whose spirits are just don't, they're not healthy for you. That's right. And so what you tell you tell the younger generation is, is be very aware of what energies or what spirits or what people you keep around because everybody does not have your best interest at heart. Patience. Like I, I remember thinking when I first opened, like, oh, you need all money that's coming in. Right. I need every patient because I right. can't pay anything. Now I get to decide if I want to see you as a patient because you may not be good for my practice. If I gotta look at the schedule. And I'm like, you are a gentle terror. That's what I call them, like a terror. <laughs> and you're like coming in and I'm just like, oh my God. I will gently brush you out of my office and refer you to another doctor because I want to go in and look at my schedule and say, wow, I love everybody on it. And mm-hmm. I have been blessed to now really feel that way, for sure. So as a private practice owner and and dealing with the challenges of corporations that are building up and popping up, oh, I mean, we'll just speak for Houston. They're everywhere, right? Yeah. Do you, do you find that that is your biggest competition slash challenge is to keep up with the corporations? Because some maybe the corporations are getting uh, discounts from the vendors. You know, maybe right. they're getting they're getting special treatment from the vendors, right? So, right. how do you, as an uh, as an independent uh, practitioner owner, deal with a corporation that may have the backing of multiple offices? I mean, that's tough because. Um they do get the discounts from the labs. They get the discounts from the insurance companies. Where the insurance companies will pay them higher. Um, it's tough. I, it's not really an easy way. If you if you're deciding to be a private practice, you're coming out knowing that you know you're not going to get the same type of you know breaks as as a corporation. So you've got to create some form of a niche or some some way to make yourself stand out to be able to kind of support that you know i i think the the problem for me with corporations the most is really how they're paying their staff right so speak on that they have it now where you know in corporations each specific job you know is done so like if you're an insurance coordinator you might just have a person that just verifies insurance that's it right 
they're not they're not even um they're not sending out claims maybe maybe that's a different person and then somebody is receiving the claims and putting them into the computer but where that causes the problem is is that now you have somebody saying i'm an insurance coordinator right and they go into private practice and they're expected to do all three of those jobs (laughs) but in corporate they only did one right but their pay as if they had done three now Mm. that has been my problem because you deal with these ladies who don't want to do because if they're going to verify insurance i'm using as an example maybe they're verifying insurance in for 50 60 70 people right Mm -hmm. whereas in my office you're not going to verify that much for that many people but you were expected to do three different jobs Mm -hmm. it's that's that's probably more of the challenge that i experience with the corporate um I mean, as far as the cost to do service, a cost to do business, the cost of goods sold, I just feel like, I mean, I negotiate and I do think you should incorporate, like we're looking right now at five lakes to negotiate our insurance fees up, you know, you do what you can, but that would be like me having, you know, Frenchies has a new chicken sandwich out here and they're trying to compete with Popeye's. I mean, like, I... Why? It's just, okay. too, it's a little tough. It's right. a little tough to try to do that. Right. So I want to know um, how you distinguish yourself. Because you said, you know, hey, you have to have a niche. You have to be able right. to distinguish yourself so that your patients, one, seek you out. And two, are able to say, you know what, that's the person I want to stick with. So what do you do personally to distinguish yourself from the corporate and from other dentists? Because you keep, you keep competing with other dentists, correct? Right, right, absolutely. So one of the things that I learned from, I got a chance to go and shadow Michael Appa and Rosenthal in their office in New York, and I paid a lot of attention to how he presented cases. And both gentlemen um, did it in their way, but in their own personality. So you have this Jewish old guy that's saying whatever he wants to, and the patients are loving it. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, I would never be able to say this. He was asking this lady, she wanted him to reduce one of her central incisors. And he's like, like a pubic hair size. And he's like going around the office and saying, what size is the pubic hair? And I'm sitting here thinking like mortified, like, oh my God. But what I saw from that was that he was him. You know, he wasn't creating anything else other than that experience to be what she would get with him. And I started bringing that back home, which was not talking about pubic hair. Good, good. I was going to say, that was awkward. (laughs) It was so awkward. (laughs) With the Me Too movement going strong? Mm -mm. Right, No. (laughs) And the girls were just laughing, and it was all kinds of crazy. And I thought to myself, like, what it was was that he's created a niche in cosmetics, right? But he's also created a feel of him, you know? And that's where I feel like I distinguish myself differently. Like, I want everybody to across the board. Well, well, you've met me a couple of times and mm-hmm. you kind of get my vibe, but I want that to be the same vibe that you would get when you came into my office. Mm-hmm. I want it to be very much so like, listen, it's not that serious. Dentistry is not that complicated. Calm down. Let's have a good time. And then let's go home. Cause I have family that I want to go home to. Too. Right. Like, I felt like that was, that's my niche essentially. So when you read our reviews online, when you see what I'm posting, it's a lot about like just the everyday person who really has probably had some form of an awkward dental experience, knows that I know my stuff from a cosmetic standpoint, knows that they're going to come to an office that's going to take care of the whole person, and then we're going to laugh about it, and if you see me out and about, you might buy me a drink. Like, there you that's go. How I, there you go. That's my niche. And I think I've become comfortable in that. I think that people 
that goes back to what I was saying about learning all the things that you like and dislike and having that whole mix of taking those CEs, developing that, because that came from me taking a CE and really paying attention to how they were delivering a message. If I had not done that or taken that, taken that course, and I call like what was so funny is, is that that wasn't a part of the class. What I did was I flew out early that um from my office. I went, I want to see how they're running their yeah, office. office. I want to yeah. see what they're doing um because they created such a niche. How do I develop my own? Right. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that about kind of being yourself, because I find that a lot of these corporations, they want everybody to kind of act the same. Right. They, they, they actually even send them over to for courses on how to basically talk to patients, how right. to say exactly the same word that they would all say. And I find that that kind of puts everybody in a very robotic avenue. Right. right. And, and so you're basically saying the opposite. You're saying you have to be yourself because being genuine kind of speaks louder than just reading a script. Right. I mean, and we want to say some of the same things in the office. Like, we want to use the same words like pus or right. bacteria. But, I mean, how we're delivering it. I mean, part of my team, I mean, part of my thing with my office and my team always knows that is that, you know, people. So, for instance, my demographic is probably 80% African American and then the 20% is just a mixture of everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking about the psychological what is the what is the number one thing that black people have to feel like they're going to do before they purchase anything? Uh, ask their friends? No, trust. Oh, right? trust. You're right. You work. So, yeah. mm-hmm. If you think about the black community in general, we have been a community across the board that has been mishandled. They don't trust people. Very you true. know, it's like a big thing, right? Like, And, and they always feel like somebody's taking advantage of them, right? So, yeah, I thought it was just Africans. Have, I thought Africans just didn't trust people. Oh, that's... That's I mean, everybody. Listen, I got you. Listen, okay. We're just the ones that got on the ship. <laughs> right. we, we gave up our... <laughs> we just gave up our trust a little bit easier. And then we got here and was like, okay. You see? My family was like, nope, still don't trust that. Mm-mm. No, we're we not doing it. We're not doing it. I don't like that boat. I don't like that boat. We're not doing it, you know? We don't so, like it. My <laughs> people were like, you know what? Let's give them a shot. Let's, let's go see what's going on over there. We're like, we'll nope. See what I meant. Now we're just like, man, we should have listened. But, <laughs> you know, so I take that back to going like, okay, so what I know about my demographic is that if trust is the number one issue in my community, then create an environment where people can trust you, you know, and that's that's simple. In the Jewish community, it may be, hey, I want to feel like I can negotiate or barter services or, mm-hmm. you know, in the Indian community, like, like we have a lot of Indian patients as well. You know, they want to, they like that banter back and forth. They oh, want absolutely. to feel like they can negotiate it. Mm-hmm. So you have to know your demographic from a business standpoint. And I think what corporate forgets is that there are cultural differences with people that you have to touch on. And if you mm. don't, um, you can cookie cutter it for so long, but then after a point, like you see this corporation consistently having high turnover. Right. They're consistently losing. I mean, their attrition rate probably is quite high because they haven't honed in on, Hey, at the end of the day, there's still a person attached to the work that you're doing. Right. And, You've got to connect that. So I think corporate loses that, and that's where private practice falls in. Got you. Okay. Um, so 
with being a private practice owner, I mean, you're busy. Like I said, I caught you really, I mean, it's late and, and you're just getting <laughs> right. home, right? Uh, so it's not just a nine to five for you. It's like nine to five plus another three hours to make sure everything's good. People are getting paid. How do you have time to co-find or co-found, uh, if I'm using the right English and excuse me, I'm, English is my second language. Uh, <laughs> how do you and, uh, and your partner basically come up with the, 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 the Houston minority group? The Houston so Minority that was Dental. kind of neat because I started my office really early. Like I said, I came out of school and one year in, I moved to Houston mm-hmm. and, you know, opened an office. So I didn't know a lot of people here because it's not my home. And I was getting a lot of questions from friends and colleagues as far as like, you know, well, who do you go to for this? And why do you go to them for this? And I mean, just all over the spot. And so I said, well, maybe there needs to be a centralized you know, group that can discuss ideas and things like that. And I think that was really, really awesome that I was able to do that. I definitely attributed a lot to the people that were making that happen Mm -hmm. on the board. Uh, That was a growth experience for myself, too. I had never been on a board. Mm. I had never created a board. I mean, so there were just growing pains in general, but... I think I had the time because I was still having those conversations individually with people. And I'm like, well, I mean, shoot, if I could spend two hours on the phone talking to somebody about this, I mean, probably 10 other people that I know would want to have that information. And then I could learn from them too, Hmm. right? And so that's kind of how that got birthed. And um, I had to, I mean, I handed it off to another room because I, I didn't want people to also think that, this was the Simone Ellis show, right? <laughs> right, so, right, right? I would tell my board that, you know, I think part of the reason why it took off was because I was really involved at the time going through a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. making a lot of connections and, 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 and meeting a lot of people. But my concern was is that, you know, and this is unfortunate. I'm going to use this from another black standpoint. That's okay. We... We know that we need things and we, when we have groups that need, we need to be a part of. But again, we don't sometimes put the emphasis on things that we can do as the people to continue to grow. I think mm-hmm. that we're changing now. I think I've seen more of like a unified effort for blacks to want to support other blacks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're seeing it a lot more like black girl magic or, you know, um, black boy joy or, you know, hey, I, I have patients tell me all the time. I wanted to go to somebody that looked like me. I don't remember hearing that, you know, almost four or five years ago. Okay. Um, I think there's changing that. And so the minority dental group, I think, suffered a lot from a couple of things. One, I think that, you know, the board members will practice owners as well. Mm-hmm. I could only do so much. I think that they were practice owners, and so it was hard for them to continue to keep that momentum going. Right. I think that also, too, the t- the age group that um, we were targeting, right? Because now at this point, people are having families. Right. Are yeah, I'll speak opening that. their office. And, you know, they, they're, they're more establishing different things. So right. their times, you know, are buying different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where, again, those groups kind of implode back because the young ones that are coming out of school have that time and energy to develop something and keep something going. But that membership to keep that legacy, keeping moving gets dropped off kind of around this age group because the priorities change for the individuals that are part of the group. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think there was some awesome things. I think that it's still doing well. Um, 
I now serve as far as more on the community service side. Right. Um, because I didn't, again, want it to be, the organization is bigger than one person. It's an organization that's supposed to help, you know, people in general. So I'm hoping that it will continue to grow and the younger people will pick it up. Okay. Continue to motivate it. Yeah. Well, speaking of community service, and I'll, I'll kind of, we'll, we'll talk one more and then we'll kind of end it here. But speaking of community service, I know that you usually do like, a, is it yearly or biannually? Uh, you do like a free service day. Yeah. This is like my favorite thing. This is the first year, however, I didn't do it because we're moving. Okay. And so I didn't have the, uh, we didn't have the, uh, that I've done it probably about, I think this is like my seventh year. Oh, wow. My free day in industry. So right. it's awesome. Like it's just, you know, um. What made yeah, you do that? Um, I had a birthday and I think it was 30. Yeah. So this would have been, okay. It would have been six years. Um, 30 days to 30. Mm-hmm. And I love my birthday, so I was like, okay, on one of my birthdays, I'm going to give away free di- free dentistry, and that was one of my. That's when I started. I was like, you know, I was I have been blessed. To whom much is given, much much is required. I believe that you know it's a blessing that I can do this, and so I wanted to give it back. And it was such a, it's such an awesome turnout. Every year we see service about fifty people. I'm hoping in my new space, I'll be able to double that. So if you like a hundred, hundred people in a um, Saturday, but I mean, we, from extractions and fillings to cleanings, I mean, I just love it. I love the opportunity to really give ministry back to people who need it. I mean, it's, it's important. So we started it then. One of my most memorable ones was the one we did about two years ago. Uh, it was my, my dad was out there helping. Uh, bring all the people in the door and stuff. My dad unfortunately passed away, but I still very much so remember right. vividly going out and making sure people were taken care of, drinking water. Oh. And he's the reason why I got into dentistry anyway. So for me to get a chance to see, to have him working with me and doing that, it was just like one of those epic moments. So I love it. I encourage any listeners that have practices to really think about that element because, because I'm able to help people. I really think so. Okay. So. Okay, well, let's finish off with with social media. Okay, okay. let's pin, finish off with what do you think people can do to increase their uh, footprint in social media, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp. I don't care any of them. Yeah, so this year I had to take a little break from social media just a bit. <laughs> We're gonna amp back up next year. Okay. It's a lot. Yes, I mean it is a lot. And you know this even having a podcast like it's just a lot. It's right. a lot of content that's um. So a couple of things. Uh, first, I really do feel like now in this industry, you probably need to look at hiring somebody who's like as an expert in it. Um, I think a lot of times when we try to manage something that we're not really you know, knowledgeable about, we can be using a lot of time, energy and effort into something that may produce more fruits um, if it's done correctly. So that would be one thing I would look at. Uh, when we got up to like post our 10K following, that happened within probably six months. But I had somebody I was paying directly to just manage it for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that made a big difference because I still see patients coming through from that. Right. Um, it, was an, it was an investment for sure, but I didn't, I don't have the time to manage it the way that I think that I would, I would want to. So that's important. Um, because you have to be consistently engaged all the time and um 
it's just a lot. So I think that having investing in an expert, just like how if I don't know how to do a procedure, I refer out. You know, right. Um, investing in a uh, an expert in that. If you feel like okay, well, I still want to take it on, then really, um, isolating some time to really make that social media make sense okay. for your brand, right? So I think that that's important to have fluidity in them. So if you're going to have Facebook and you're going to have Instagram, you're going to have Twitter, you know, you want it to kind of have a flow to it together because it's easier for the patient to get an idea of who you are from that flow. Um, if you, and then also research the people that are in your industry okay. that are doing what you want to do. Okay. Um, like social media is a beast though. I mean, how do you feel about social media? Cause it's kind of. Oh, I, I absolutely think that that's the only way you can actually build anything anymore. I mean, people yeah. are making millions of dollars on social media just because they know how to be consistent. And I think that's yeah. the hardest part for everybody is being consistent. I'll speak for myself. I'm not as consistent as I should be, you know, even with this podcast, you know. And I think that if you're consistent, people kind of go, okay, it's a routine. And people get into right. that routine. So they're used to seeing your face. You better make sure that you're seeing your face every day, every other day. I don't care how you do it, but make sure you're consistent about it. Well, you yeah. know, and what I hated about it, this is something so stupid. I don't like wearing makeup. <laughs> so I was like, dang, every time I do these vibes, we're going to put some makeup on. Right. And I realized, like, you know, um, again, like I said, I've got to be more consistent with it. It's definitely hard. But, right. you know, I think consistency is key. Um, I, John Maxwell has a really great book, you know, How Successful People Think. And he talks about blocking time off, you know, in your month to be able to be creative and coming up with concepts mm. or... You know, and I think that's important, especially for social media. Like, what makes your page stand out, right? right. So, what makes this podcast stand out? How how is Truth Be Told gonna compare to the dentalpreneurs or all these right. other? You have to think about that. And social right. media is a way for you to kind of see what somebody is basically doing and create something a little bit different to make yourself stand out. So. Well, if you want to run, if you want to run uh, the my my uh, Instagram account, you're more than welcome to. Ah, well, listen, <laughs> you'll see my last post when I went to Peru. That was back in July or oh, something. Oh, jeez. And I, like I said, I know for sure. Like, okay, I, we're in our brainstorming stage now for the practice since we're moving. Right. And I'm like, all right, so it amps back up June. I mean, January first. What is that going to look like? Right. So, okay. For sure. Well, I want you to give people kind of basically how to reach out to you. I want them to know your office. I want them to know your accounts once you get back onto social media. Any, <laughs> any questions that they may have, because I feel like you would be a great mentor for a lot of people. So if you don't mind, just kind of hitting everybody up with like basically how to reach you. Absolutely. So on IG, I am Dr. Simone Ellis. On Facebook as well, I'm just Simone Ellis. You can reach me at DrSimoneEllis at gmail.com. And my practice, awesome practice, is Smile Design Studios. We're located at 6130 Highway 6 in Missouri City, Texas. Um, and the office number is 281-969-7388. So the best way to get in touch with me, send me a shout on IG. Um, also email. I do a really great job about responding back. I take probably about four mentees a year. It's probably as much as I can handle. <laughs> um, so uh, usually students reach out to me. And um, we have a really cool program. Uh, gotten five kids actually now into dental school so oh, i'm really excited wow. about that um i'm working on my my sixth one right now but he's just finishing up his interviews and we're excited to hear back from him in december 1st so 
I take dentistry very seriously about my passion for it. And um, you guys can reach out to me either anyway. Business, we can talk. Um, I mean, I'm just I'm just here for it. And while I'm so proud of you <laughs> for creating content right. to have out to the people, I mean, that's huge. Um, I, I'm blessed to know you, and I'm excited to continue to see what Tooth Be Told tells. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that. No, I absolutely appreciate that. And, you know, it's funny, and I will, I'll, I'll speak to this. If you reach out to her, she responds so quickly because I had a patient that I needed her help on. You know, I said, "Hey, I've done, I've done my part now. I have no idea what to do here when it comes to, you know, because she wanted the patient wanted more of a like an aesthetic outlook." And I said, "Look, I, I'm the wrong person to talk about this." But I reached out to you. You basically you you had you put your team on on the phone immediately. You like talked to this person, and within like five seconds, the patient's basically like, "Hey, where's the number? I'm gonna get a hold of you guys." So, oh. so no, you definitely reach out, and you definitely do an excellent job with just communication. And I think that's something well, thank that. You. No, a lot of people need to improve on that. And I, you know, I I speak on that and I tell people a lot, like the best way to basically get your point across is to be able to listen and also speak uh, so that people understand what you're trying to get across. Right. So I thank you. I'm going to let you go because I know it's late and you have to have another busy day tomorrow and you just got home. So you probably want to relax and just kind (laughs) of, you know, catch up on just, you know, your relaxation time. But thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you. I loved it. And if you guys ever need me on back on, on again, I'd love to talk. Oh, I sure. promise you, you will come back on. I promise you that because especially you gave me a good compliment. That's all that matters. To me. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> well, thank you so much. I will let you go. But again, have a good night. Appreciate you. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R E A L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.